Welcome to Suspending the Rules, Bloomberg Government's weekly look at what's happening in Congress. With Congress out of town for the 4th of July recess, we here at Suspending the Rules are also turning our attention away from legislation and lawmakers for a moment and toward another group of people who have been very busy this year, lobbyists. Welcome to the show. I'm Adam Taylor. And I'm Adam Shank. Last week, the House and Senate cleared a $4.5 billion emergency funding bill to address the crisis at the southern border. For next week, the House has teed up its version of the annual defense policy bill known as the NDAA. On this week's podcast, it's lobbyists. Megan Wilson reports on the trade for Bloomberg government, and she's here with us in the studio now. Welcome. Hi, y'all. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. We're halfway through 2019, Megan. What's the biggest story been in lobbying this year? You know, arguably the biggest lobbying story has been drug pricing. Every day you see drug company, big and small, hiring a new lobbyist to deal with all of these proposals coming out and big time ad dollars spent to, to sort of combat some of these proposals. Is this around the opioid crisis, around the Democrats' proposals for Medicare for All? Some of it is the the drug pricing. You have the Trump administration proposal about, you know, foreign drugs. There's lawmakers and the administration are coming at them from all angles. And as a result, they are definitely uh, assembling teams to sort of push back against that. But, you know, you mentioned Medicare for all. And, um, you know, you're starting to see industries start to take this proposal seriously, whereas in previous years it would have been waved off. It's definitely becoming a trend that uh, lobbyists are paying more and more attention to. And is that a sign that a legislative proposal has more legs is when the industry starts to sort of gear up like that when they hire teams of lobbyists? You know, Medicare for All specifically has sort of fizzled out pretty quickly. But yes, when you start to see calls, whether it be on a grassroots level or, you know, this new freshman class who are very vocal and seem to want to have a lot of sway, whether or not a Medicare for All will actually happen, lobbyists want to be on the ground floor to have a voice to either make sure it doesn't happen or blunt any adverse effects that could come for them. Can you talk a little bit about the process for onboarding a lobbyist or like is it just a matter of signing a contract with the firm or is there a a sort of more drawn out process? You know, I'm not in the room for these (laughs) contract (laughs) signings. Some of it is word of mouth, right? You know, um, some firms are like, you know, they partner up together. A lot of times there are coalitions forming between, you know, industry groups. Right now you have a giant industry coalition with AHIP, the health insurers, the health insurers, the the pharmaceutical uh, trade association, pharma, and others sort of banding together, uh, creating this grassroots coalition and and working through a lobbying firm to do that, uh, to sort of push back on Medicare for all and and sort of, in their words, explain why it could be short-sighted and why people don't necessarily understand what it means. Let's look ahead. We're about a year and a half away from the 2020 presidential election. The Democratic presidential candidates just had their first two debates this past week in Florida. How are lobbyists looking at that field and, and at the coming election? 
you know, it's still really early, as we all know. We've got a little more than a year uh, from the Democratic National Convention where they nominate their uh, nominee officially. You know, but lobbyists are still looking at this because most of the front, all of the front runners actually have said that they will not take money from registered lobbyists. And a lot of them said they won't take money from corporate PACs. Now, that's really important because lobbyists like to have a, a foothold with a, with a new administration or, you know, in the case of the convention, the, the convention will have these big package, ticket packages with specific hotel rooms or meet and greets, one-on-ones, photo opportunities. You know, there are a lot of opportunities for lobbyists, especially to set up with their clients or, or simply for themselves at these conventions. And if the DNC decides to follow, you know, the presumptive nominee's direction, like it did with Barack Obama, not to take registered lobbyist money, they could miss out on that. So there's a lot of concern already swirling about that. So why are the candidates swearing off off lobbyist money? What's the motivation behind that? I, I know on the other side of issues, you know, like Medicare for All, you have trade association groups, patient groups, and, and those kinds of organizations that are doing their own lobbying, sometimes in-house or as like a trade association. Is their push, those, those groups that do it sort of on their own and, and would arguably call sort of some of the bigger uh, advocacy groups astroturfing, you know, what's the motivation behind some of the candidates, you know, swearing off the the lobbyist money or those kinds of donations? Hating on lobbyists isn't a new thing. In fact, you know, in the 2008 convention, Heather Podesta and Tony Podesta, very prominent Democratic lobbyists, when Barack Obama was becoming the the Democratic nominee that year, actually passed out scarlet L pins uh, to sort of signify that they had sort of been, you know, left out. Lobbyists for even years before that are convenient punching bags, right? Because a lot of America says, you know, lobbyists are are corrupt and uh, to our system and there's just too much money. And I think this year um, there is definitely even more of a groundswell to sort of signal to voters that we're not going to be beholden to anybody but you. And when you look back, I, again, I keep referring to Obama, lobbyists provide money themselves, but they also have a role to play in bundling big checks from rich people, um, which definitely sort of helps improve their their standing uh, with people. And, you know, you have political scientists from that time saying, if you're not taking a few million dollars from these people, you're, you increase your odds of potentially getting tens of millions of dollars in smaller donations from people all over the country who are appreciative of that. So there's definitely a money motivation there in addition to, you know, a potentially altruistic, I'm beholden to you and nobody else. When he was running for president, Donald Trump also campaigned against lobbyists. But I want to look at a different aspect of, of his administration, where they, they've taken a different approach specifically on antitrust and mergers, which has really affected lobbying, it seems like. Lobbying this administration on mergers is a little bit harder because I think that the White House um, is able to tip the scales in their favor. You look at, uh, you know, President Trump came out and reportedly behind the scenes tried to push against the AT&T Time Warner, which was ultimately unsuccessful. And his opposition was unsuccessful. That's right. And you have the the T-Mobile merger happening right now, T-Mobile Sprint, 
It's less about lobbying and more about corporate influence. For example, executives at T-Mobile spending uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars at the Trump Hotel in rooms and, and, and food and events and, and staying there as a way to sort of say, hey, look, we're on your side. So it's a little bit about less about lobbyists this time and a little bit more about unconventional, you know, showing the president that you're with him even though it's, you know, a, a antitrust department of the, the Department of Justice that sort of handles this. Another ongoing merger is in the defense sector, Raytheon and United Technologies Corporations. A lot of Democrats have come out against it. The president said he's, I think he said, a little concerned about the market power they might have and how it could raise prices for the Defense Department. What's happening with that? That refer, you know, he was referring to I'm the chief negotiator. You know, this is going to be an issue for us. I'm not sure where the status is, but you know, if you look at their lobbying specifically compared to their government contracts, they have a very and and the rest of corporate lobbying. You know, they have a very small relative uh, lobbying presence. You know, you have the two of them spending 15 million dollars on lobbying. Whereas you have $13 million spent by Lockheed Martin alone last year on lobbying. So I don't know if this means they need to sort of step that up. Um, and if they're going to be stepping that up, we haven't seen that uh, yet. But the uh, second quarter lobbying numbers are out later this month. And so we'll sort of be able to gauge a little bit more then. A couple of other stories you've recently reported on I, I think are worth looking at here. Uh, Representative Duncan Hunter will be tried in September on charges of misusing campaign funds for personal expenses, uh, including allegedly carrying on affairs with lobbyists. Tell us about your reporting there. Duncan Hunter, we know, was indicted uh, for misusing, allegedly misusing, about $250,000 worth of campaign funds. A few thousand of that we know now um, because of a Justice Department filing uh, went to uh, trysts with lobbyists and congressional and other Republican staffers. You know, we're talking about hotels, we're talking about meals, we're talking Ubers to and from their homes because I think he was living out of his congressional office at the time. And so the Justice Department is saying these are clearly intimate personal uses and that have nothing to do with his work as a member of Congress. His team has shot back saying they're directly related. You know, it's his job to sort of socialize with these people and it may have carried over. So the Justice Department filing uh, was to try and admit this evidence um, at trial, which is coming in September. So the Hunter uh, defense filed their no, this shouldn't be used. And uh, so we'll see what happens there. We don't know yet. Uh, I want to ask you about just my favorite lobbying story of the last year. <laughs> Tell us about Burning Man's lobbyist. <laughs> so it seems weird, right, that Burning Man would hire a lobbyist. Um, they don't seem like the buttoned up Washington type. And let alone they hired one of the most prominent law and lobbying firms in Washington, Holland and Knight. So the organization uh, that puts on Burning Man, that creates this giant city in Nevada every year um, for artists to come together and create music, among other things, <laughs> if I'm being euphemistic, they operate this festival on public lands. And so they have to receive permits from the Bureau of Land Management to sort of do that. Last year, BLM came out pretty hard against them, saying they left way too much trash behind, sort of violating their contracts. And now they're, you know, back 
with the government trying to renew those permits following an environmental impact report from the agency. And they they were seeking to increase the number of people that were attending too, weren't they? It was like something like 80,000 now and they were trying to bump that up. That's right. Uh, it's currently 80,000 people their permit allows for, which is around the attendance of the one last year. They had tried to go up to 100,000 people and the government sort of shot that proposal down. Uh, anything else you're looking for for the rest of the year and uh, next year as the uh, 2020 election? rises up on us? You know, in the final months of this year, all of the air is going to be sucked out of Washington from this presidential election. So there's going to be this scrambling uh, for lobbyists to get things done in Congress, you know, uh, lobbying on regulation, sort of trying to do these things before, you know, 2020 hits and we're in full on campaign mode. I do think that, you know, lobbyists, especially as you mentioned, Adam, you know, Donald Trump ran on a drain the swamp message um, in the waning days of his 2016 campaign. But you're seeing for the first time Republican lobbyists banding together and, and figuring out how they're going to fundraise for him. So the Democrat Democratic lobbyists may be figuring out their strategy, but definitely on the Trump side, you know, Republican lobbyists who didn't support the president last time around are sort of working with the Trump campaign already to figure out how they're going to fundraise for him and how they're going to get big dollars from big donors as well. And so that process is already starting and uh, it's only going to intensify. Thanks, Megan. Megan Wilson reports on lobbying for Bloomberg government. That's it for us this week. We'll be back next week when Congress returns for its sprint to the August recess. Thank you for listening to Suspending the Rules. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Find more on the subjects we discussed today and a whole lot more from Bloomberg government at about.begov.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at BGov. The legislative analyst team is Sarah Babbage, Noreen Chowdhury, Danielle Parnas, Michael Smallberg, and me, Adam Taylor. Our editor is Adam Shank. Nico Anzalata is our sound engineer. Our theme music is Home Organ by Zach Nasita. More information on that can be found at premiumbeat.com. You probably have a lot of questions about the environment. Well, so do we. Are we talking like radioactive chemicals? Is this becoming sort of irrelevant if the U.S. doesn't participate in this? What's going on here? How far did the Trump administration go? And Is mining really better down where it's wetter? Climate change, chemicals, water pollution, you name it. If it's in the environment, we're talking about it. Listen to Bloomberg Environment's official podcast, Parts Per Billion, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, get up-to-the-minute reporting at our website, news.bloombergenvironment.com.